Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Hi guys, thank you all for being here today. I'm really glad to be a part of Indie Games Business and to talk to you about two topics that are most dear to me, law and games. My name is André Moreira. I'm a Brazilian lawyer and I have been working with the gaming, the games industry and also esports for quite some time now. I work mostly with game studios and small to medium-sized publishers, as well as with a few investors that love this, this industry just like I do. Well, as you certainly know, the game industry is an ecosystem extremely internationalized and with its own dynamics. It's a place that almost creates a law of its own. A combination of different legal areas such as intellectual property, corporate law, tax law, entertainment law, a mixture that end up regulating the relationships existing in this market. And when we talk about relationships in the game industry, we must talk about revenue share agreements, a legal instrument, instrument that is widely used in creative markets. So my objective today is to give you a brief notion of this kind of agreement and to call your attention to a few important topics that should always be considered when designing a revenue share agreement whether you are a game studio, a publisher, an investor, or anyone, any professional, any other professional that might face a revenue share agreement in your professional journey. As a good lawyer that I think I am, I should make a disclaimer here. So please bear in mind that the opinions I express here are my own and not from my law firm or any other entity. Also, the explanations I'll give here during the presentation are not to be considered as a legal advice. If you have any legal doubts for your specific situation, please consider contacting a lawyer. So, our starting point today is obviously establishing what is this contract we are talking about. I believe that most of you, especially those who, have, who are in this market for a certain time, have already seen, signed, or even proposed a revenue share agreement. Maybe the name of the contract was not exactly this, but the name is what matters less. It is the clauses, the duties and obligations that dictate the nature of the agreement. In this sense, you might have seen a publishing agreement, a development agreement, a business partnership agreement, in which the contracting parties agreed on sharing the revenue arising out of a project for which both, both parties contributed in some way. 
Therefore, revenue share agreements are contracts celebrated by two or more parties, companies, and sometimes individuals too, for the exploitation of a project of common interest, for a determined period through which such parties commit to deliver something, whether it's an intellectual property, services, money, know-how, a network, contacts, and so on. In return, the parties share the profit thus generated. The revenue share agreements we see more frequently in the gaming scenario is the one celebrated between a developer, a game studio, and a publisher, usually under the name of publishing agreements. In this case, developers commit to deliver a game and its intellectual property, while publishers undertake to perform some commercialization activities. Take the recent example of Profury. For those who are not aware, this prestigious publisher has disclosed its development and publishing agreement template for the whole community to consult. If you take a closed look at such agreement, you find an exclusive topic entitled revenue share as well as several other clauses that somehow make reference to such model. Nonetheless, it is also common to find other kind of negotiations and players as a part of a revenue share agreements. Services like sound design, localization, and also you commonly find the licensing of other intellectual property for game adapt games adaptation. In these cases, the contract might receive names such as co-development agreements or business partnership agreement, but it will certainly have a revenue share structure. So, whenever I mention revenue share agreements from now on, please bear in mind that I'm not referring to this legal structure, that I'm referring to this legal structure and not to agreements strictly named after it. Although such structure seems an easy thing to create and to idealize, relationships are always complex to regulate. In this sense, it's really important for us to know what kind of activities or services could be a part of a revenue share agreement. Let's start with the game studio. The, public, the developer. The ultimate obligation of a game studio is obviously delivering the game to this common project. Sometimes the game is already finished, while in other situations, revenue share agreements are signed when the developer has only an idea or a prototype of its game or a demo version. In the latter, considering that this is the ultimate obligation of the game studio, Parties should define dates, deliverables, as well as situations in which delays are acceptable. For example, if there is any change, any change regarding the requirements to publish a game in a specific platform or in a specific country. Following the development obligation, we might also find other related activities, such as porting, localization, and sound design, as I mentioned earlier, for which it is also important to establish conditions for its delivery. 
Sometimes the game studio commits to perform such activities, whether by itself or through uh, another third party it will hire. Sometimes a party, uh, a direct party of the revenue share agreement is the one responsible for that. Frequently, based in my experience, publishers will bear the costs and hire services provider to perform these activities, being such costs included further in the recoupable amount, which we'll see uh, later on. When game studios are not responsible for such collateral, collateral development activities, as I like to say, it is highly recommended to include a clause in which the studio has the right to impact and supervise the execution of such services, since they will impact directly in the quality of the game. Now let's take a look at the ultimate obligation of the publisher, commercialization, which includes distribution, marketing, and other related activities. The know-how and the network that publishers have for such purposes are the main assets for the project. Initially, it is almost contradictory to imagine that it is necessary to define selling obligations for a company that has a share in the revenue of a game. But that's not a total absurd thought. As I see it, it's important to establish some milestones for the commercialization activities, such as an official launching date after the delivery of the Goldmaster, the commitment to make launching events, to produce content in social media, to invest a minimum amount of money in some marketing actions. I think you get the, the general idea here. But still in this topic, parties of a revenue share agreement can also establish some rules for the commercialization rights, such as defining in which platforms the game should be published, a capped price for its commercialization, in which territory, in which territory sales shall occur, and so on. In more advanced agreements, game studios can also propose sales goals to be performed by the publisher. And if such goals are not met, publishers can lose its, its exclusivity in the commercialization or even have its revenue share percentage reduced, for example. This is mostly seen in agreements of games that already have certain prestige in the market. And last but not least, we should talk about money important to everyone here, especially as lawyers, no, just kidding. Usually, in cases where the game is not finished yet, or when the game studio does not have the required capital to market its project, publishers will take this financing role in the project, which is an important role. In the indie game industry, this is pretty common, but it's really important to take a close look on how this financing is structured in the agreement. When the deal includes an intense development phase, payments will be usually made in installments, triggered by the delivery goals achieved by a developer. If the game is not delivered, usually publishers take two different approaches. All money paid in advance shall be returned, which is most common or the creations and the intellectual property of what was developed until the termination of the agreement shall be assigned to the publisher. So it's important to 
understand what might happen if deliverables are not made. Finally, parties should also think about the logistics in payment remittances. Considering that revenue share agreements are usually have parties from different countries, they should consider where payments shall be made, which taxes are due, and by whom, and what documents are required for such transactions. In Brazil, before receiving money from abroad, you usually need to present a document to justify such transaction. In several places, including US, Brazil, and many European countries, tax authorities demand its nationals to withhold taxes, usually something from 15 to 30%, on payments made to foreign companies or individuals related to royalties and also development services. Another relevant topic in revenue share agreements is certainly intellectual property. Talking about the game itself, in the great majority of cases, the IP is owned and will remain with the game studio that created it. In this context, game studios will grant to publisher a license a temporary right to distribute and commercialize the game that contains such IP. Such license is usually temporary during the term of the revenue share agreement and paid with the revenue sharing system structure in the agreement. Parties should, should also pay attention to the extensions of such license. If they include only the right to sell the game, to produce and sell ancillary projects such as toys, downloadable content, soundtrack albums, and so on, or even the right to sub-license the IP. And even the license to sell only the game can be limited, only for a specific platform, only for um, a specific country. In a few countries, uh, specifically speaking of Brazil, uh, and other countries with uh, a civil law uh, tradition, business that include the licensing of copyrights should always be interpreted in favor of the creators, which means the game studios and the artists that work for it. Therefore, publishers should also take a closer look on how the licensing terms are defined. Usually, in revenue share agreements, you find a standard clause declaring that any right not expressly granted in the agreement is reserved to the developer, to the game studio. So, publishers and investors must take a close look at the licensing terms included in the contract. For every party of a revenue share agreement, I strongly recommend making a previous clearance review. In other words, to identify all the IP assets in the project and confirm that the parties have the required rights to use it. Again, as you guys certainly know better than me, is a myriad of creations. Therefore, if one of such elements is not authorized to be there, this could jeopardize the whole project. Besides that, Every party in the agreement could be considered jointly liable for any infringement in this regard, especially developers and publishers. In Brazil, we had recently 
multiple lawsuits filed against publishers of football games, soccer games for you Americans that are listening to us, because of the lack of licensing in regard to the player's image rights. Although this is not intellectual property, it is pretty close related. In the origin of this loss of those lawsuits, relies negotiations made between publishers and entities that supposedly had the authorization to sublicense players' image rights. But they didn't. At least that's what courts, our courts are saying. And for now, publishers have been losing the lawsuits and paying players and players' associations for such unauthorized use. In the sense, you will always find, or at least you should, always find, a clause in which parties guarantee that the contribution made to the project will not infringe upon third-party rights. Otherwise, the agreement could be terminated and the party that infringed it would have to compensate and reimburse other parties for the damage and losses they suffered. In rare cases, revenue share agreements will contemplate an IP assignment, not a license. In other words, the IP owner, the intellectual property owner, will definitely transfer the rights, its rights, total or partially, to the party that usually is paying for that assignment. When talking about, especially when we talk about adapting other creations like books and movies to the gaming universe, the assignment, assignment of intellectual property rights is mostly common. But even in these cases, problems can arise. I'm pretty sure that you guys know this case, but it's really important to bring it as an example. Two years ago, the author of The Witcher books initiated a dispute against the publisher of such game, claiming that he was underpaid for the assignment of his IP rights. In an interview given to Eurogamer, the author dropped this iconic comment that I read here for you. They offered me a percentage of their profits. I said, no, there will be no profit at all. Give me all the money right now. The whole amount, the whole amount. It was stupid. I was stupid enough to leave everything in their hands because I didn't believe in their success. But who, who could foresee their, foresee their success? I didn't. So, According to the information that was disclosed by media and by the publisher itself, in 2007, uh, the author of uh, the Witcher book sold, so assigned its IP rights for game projects because he did not want to participate in a revenue share agreement. What he bitterly regret, regretted, as we see in his comment uh, that you see over there. However, the author understood that the agreement was not duly executed and therefore wanted to discuss it before the courts. Recently, parties settled in an agreement. But please, guys, see that even an assignment, a, definitively, a definitive transfer of IP rights, which should at least avoid discussions due to this nature, can become a problem if not clearly written. In collaborative projects, when game development starts from zero, 
revenue share agreements might also establish the percentage of IP ownership of the future project among the parties of the agreement. In these cases, it is also recommended to define how will the commercialization of the game occur and consequently the coordination of the revenue sharing. It is important to appoint a leader among the IP owners to direct these activities and this should be clearly written in the agreement. And finally, another aspect of a revenue share agreement that should be always be considered by the parties, it is the credits. Even though the obligation to indicate the creator's name is usually a legal rule, it is interest, interesting to establish how credits should be shown in the final project. For example, the logo of the studio should come up at the beginning of the game with a specific sound effect for two or three seconds. I think you get the, the idea here. Now we finally arrive at the clauses that give the name to this panel, the revenue sharing rules. Usually parties are free to define the rules on how the money arising out of the game sales should be divided among them. However, there are some standards, some patterns in the market. In the indie game industry, where I work mostly, revenue share agreements between game studios and publishers usually define a revenue sharing division between 50-50 and 80-20 in favor of developers. Such definition will vary according to several elements the status of the project, the prestige of the game, the prestige of the studio and the team that is developing it, if there is money paid in advance, what activities are expected from each party, and etc. Usually, the higher the risk of the financing party, the higher will be its stake in the revenue share. And, but first, it's always important to define what is understood as revenue for the purpose of the agreement. Usually, in agreements like this, the sharing is defined over a net revenue. And here is a, an important suggestion to you guys. Never rely on external concepts to explain what is net revenue or what is revenue, because you will find anything you want put it in the contract. In most agreements, revenue is defined as the total amount, net revenue is defined as the total amount of money received from the sales of the project, less taxes and third-party commissions. Project and marketing expenses are also usually included in these deductible expenses. And after the, revenue, the net revenue is calculated, money is then shared between parties. In negotiations where publishers anticipate money to studios, it is quite usual to find clauses that label such payment as a recoverable advance or a recoupable amount, allowing publishers to receive 100% of project revenue until such disbursement is fully returned. In other cases, Parties might agree on a different division of revenue, more beneficial to the publisher, until, until its investment is fully recovered. And after that, then, the division migrates to the general rule included in the agreement.
Finally, a must-have clause in a revenue share agreement is the developer's right to audit the publisher's books. In case any error is found and the studio is underpaid based on the rules of the agreement, publishers shall pay such difference plus interest and sometimes also with a penalty fee depending on the difference of the underpayment. In some cases, uh, this kind of uh, problem might also be considered a material breach for a forced termination of the agreement. So take a close look at the agreement and always think about including an audit right in it. Well, every well-written agreement will have rules to regulate its termination. The purpose of an agreement is exactly to grant legal certainty and predictability for the business it regulates. Agreements do not make infallible relationships, but they give a, a path to follow when parties face a negative situation. Therefore, besides the natural expiration of a contract at the end of its term, Parties may agree on a unilateral and unmotivated termination. If so, consider establishing a prior notice and maybe a compensation, depending on the site you are on, obviously. On the other hand, rules that cover infringement situations are extremely important for both parties, for all parties, for every party in the agreement. Usually, revenue share agreements establish a division between minor breaches, like a two days delay to deliver something, which can trigger soft penalties like a fee or the loss of a part of the revenue uh, the party has the right to receive, and all and the material breaches, like the refusal to deliver the game or the refusal to commercialize it in the predetermined uh, markets and a breach and a material breach might or might not might cause the forced termination of the agreement besides the payment of damages and losses the return of the money invested the application of other penalty fees and so on You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more remember it's discord.gg slash indie game business Something that I always suggest, based on the contractual good faith, is to define a remediation procedure. In other words, 
instead of an immediate, immediate, immediate termination, sorry, the innocent party should notify its partner about the infringement occurred and ask for a solution within a reasonable time frame. If the problem is not solved, then forced termination and its consequences, as described in the agreement, will take place. Well, until now, we have seen all the must-have clauses in a revenue share agreement. But, as I have warned you before, due to the versatility of this kind of agreement, you should also pay attention to some specific rules that might be important depending on the kind of the deal that you are negotiating. For instance, exclusivity. Usually, revenue share agreements will establish some kind of exclusivity, especially in favor of the party that puts money in the operation. This exclusivity can be wide. Every possible commercialization of the game, its extensions, sequels, prequels, and ancillary projects, or this exclusivity can be pretty strict, only for a specific platform, only for the game and not the, the not projects that come out of it, and so on. Sometimes uh, it is also important to establish or, or to consider a non-compete clause. So, considering that a revenue share agreement is usually designed for a project of common interest, sometimes you find a non-compete uh, rule that can work both ways. The game studio commits not to develop a game in the same niche, for instance, a puzzle game, or the publisher commits not to sell a game with similar aspects during the revenue share agreement term. This obviously is temporary. Sometimes these non-compete clauses will take effect only during the agreement, Sometimes parties will define that also an, uh, an extra period after the termination of the agreement, these non-compete uh, obligations should be respected by, by the party that undertook it. Preference rights. Sometimes, in order to award the publisher for believing and investing in the project, in that game that you are developing, a revenue share agreement might include a clause that defines that if further editions or continuations of the game are to be developed, the, the publisher will have a preference to be a part in the project. In other words, what will happen is that if Game Studio starts or wants to develop this a sequel, a prequel, or a, a continuation, it should earn either notify the publisher and tell it about its interest, or if the game studio received a proposal from another, publish, another publisher to uh, give the previous publisher an option to make an equal proposal for entering and joining the project for in, in this kind of uh, clause. Dispute resolution. In the end, a well-written agreement might not be enough 
if parties face difficulties to exercise the prescribed rights. In revenue share agreements, which usually comprise several international elements, parties, places of sales, uh, places of distribution, it is highly recommended to define a national law that will govern the whole agreement, that will be used for the interpretation of the rules established in that contract, and also will be defined which court is deemed, is deemed competent to receive any lawsuits arising out of that specific contract. Usually, in most cases, the law and the court of the country of the publisher are the ones elected by the parties, especially in those contracts in which the publisher is taking higher risks for joining that, that common project. An option that should always be considered in business like this is the election of arbitration procedures. Private entities that could receive and issue a binding decision to solve any disputes between parties. For this to work, an, arbitra an arbitration clause should be included in the agreement. Otherwise, only through common understanding, parties could submit a agreement to an arbitration court. To choose this kind of uh, dispute uh, resolution uh, alternative, it's important to consider several aspects. For instance, in Brazil, and I'm talking about my experience here and also in, uh, in other countries, usually arbitration courts courts are more expensive, but on the other hand, you have an arbitrator that really understands the subject, the, the theme of the dispute he is addressing, and you have a more expedite decision. While in judicial courts, in governmental courts, you have a lawsuit that takes more time, and you have the risk to have a judge or that does not really understand the dynamics of the gaming industry. So you should take these points and understand what is better for you in your specific case. Well, as we have seen in this presentation, revenue share agreements are contractual instruments with wide application in the gaming industry due to its flexibility and general acceptance before the community, the gaming community. Nevertheless, always pay close attention to the core aspects of such agreements, since they can determine the project's future. And please, in case of any doubt, before signing an agreement, find a lawyer that can assist you. There are plenty of good professionals out there. So, thanks again for your kind attention. And if you have any doubts or comments, I'll be here to, to try to answer them to you. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Andre. So, let's get to some questions. We got some questions in the chat here. Let me pull these up here. Let's do it. Uh, let's do it. Let's see here. Um, Here's a question from Adi on 
YouTube. How to define which is a taxable country if the team members all work from different countries? Is it the country where the company is incorporated? The taxable country, uh, talking about game sales, will be the country in which that company sold the game. Usually the country of the publisher. So if your publisher is located in Germany, they will sell the game based on Germany and the tax applied to that sale will be the Germany taxation law. But uh, there are other taxes that should be considered because after selling the game, uh, the publisher receives the revenue and it will, it will have to send that money to the other parties of the agreement. And in that case, uh, publisher will probably have to withhold the tax if its country determines that and the party of the agreement that received that money will have to see what its country has to say about that money, that payment he received. Sometimes, unfortunately, we will face uh, double taxation issues because there will be a taxation on the selling of the game and there will be another taxation when the revenue is sent to the party that uh, helped in the development. So uh, to vary according to which case, but usually that's the, the general uh, rule. Right on, right on. So the answer is it depends. There's, there's multiple answers, right? That's right. a typical lawyer answer. It, it depends. depends. <laughs> it depends. I think depends. that's the, the infamous answer in the game business. Yeah. Well. But I'm you sorry. have to take a look at the taxation in right. the country where the money was received by the, the company that sold the game and also in the country where that developer will receive it. You have to pay attention to those two countries. Uh, necess uh, necessary. It's necessary. And, and really, it's if you're doing a deal, you should ask. Find that stuff out specifically. Yeah. Usually publishers, mostly publishers, have already a general idea of what will happen when payments uh, will have to be made. So ask them. That's it. Ask. But that's a really good question. Uh, so here's something from Rohan. He said, can you post that standard document link, the QR code again? I will bring this up, and then you can post that. Or you can go to whatever slide. And I don't, that's that one or the ones from the... I think it was from the very, very beginning. Okay, the one from Rough Fury? Yeah. There you go. That link. Also, this is going to be, um, this is recorded on YouTube. So you can also go back and watch the video as well. You can go back and watch the video. I, I just hope that that QR code is still functioning. <laughs> if not, just Google it. Rafferi Publishing Agreement. Yeah, there you go. That's good. Okay, so here's from uh, Abasayami. If I have a game based off historical stories, does anyone get paid for intellectual property? Well, uh, what I understand as historical stories is like a game about Jesus, a game about Hercules. Generally, those stories are already in public domain, so you don't have to pay that to, and you don't have to pay uh, for for the use of such intellectual property because everyone can use it. Yeah, that makes sense. Public domain, and there's there's a year limit where things become public domain, isn't there? 
Yeah, usually uh, uh, I'll talk about my Brazilian experience, but it's mostly similar in other countries. It's uh, 50 to 70 years after the death of the author. Okay, 50 to 70 years. That's good advice. But you should check in your own country for sure, just to make sure, right? Uh, here's one from Adi Zavo on YouTube. Do fixed perpetual royalties ever make it in these agreements, regardless of the percentage discount that the game might have over the lifetime? It's not... It's pretty rare, but it occurs. There are usually... I see that usually when, not with publishers and game developers, but when you take an artist to contribute to the game, sometimes you usually deliver him or give to him a perpetual uh, royalty for the works that he delivered to the project. But between game developers and publishers, I have never seen an agreement that establishes a perpetual uh, royalty agreement. Usually, the payment of royalties is limited to the term of the agreement. All right. But then again, it depends, right? <laughs> yes, it depends. Again, I'll use my lawyer's answers. It really depends on the concrete case you have. Right. So make sure to know both ways. Uh, how do you share the revenue with the team? No, that's a good question. It depends. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, it, it will be too. Uh, sorry about the, the joke, but it will actually depend on something. That's the, the relationship that you have with your team. Do you have a company and those people that are working with you are your partners? This will be share them as profits that your company generated normally. But everyone is in the project as an individual is an as an individual then usually the best path is that the publisher will pay everyone separately uh, or in other cases where when publishers say oh I, I don't want to make 10 different payments here so I'll give all the money to one of you guys and then you will take care to divide it among your your teammates your your colleagues but uh, and if your team is uh, have a, a labor relationship with you unless you have uh, agreed to pay like an extra uh, participation on on revenue with them usually the salary you pay them is the money they should receive for that service that work that they made to you that they executed so it will depend. Right. It all depends on the agreements that you made, right? Uh, so here we go. Tangentially related, how important is it to have a, a lawyer specializing in indie dev publisher contracts to look over your rev share agreement contract? Uh, that's a tough question. Asking for a lawyer that specialized in indie developer and publisher contracts. But... Uh, the, the structure of a revenue share agreement is not something limited to the game industry. You find that in marketing activities, in, in, other, uh, create, you know, in other creative markets. So I would say that what you should look most is a lawyer that understands about intellectual property, 
and tax. Because if you are talking about a contract, an agreement with uh, international parties, otherwise it's intellectual property, mostly, and corporate law. That that you that's what you should look in a lawyer to assist you in this case. And if he is or he or she is familiarized with the indie uh, game industry, that's better, but not mandatory, I should say. That's good advice. It's it's just good to have attorneys look over things, period. Any kind of agreements, right? Because the wording yeah. could be just a little bit off, but it's, yeah. it looks right. But, you know, there is some, some lawyers, lawyers speak that, you know. Listen to them, guys. And that's <laughs> not me speaking. <laughs> Adi Zavo from YouTube. Again, what about ownership of social media presence or, let's say, of a large... Discord community, how is that defined in the agreement? Ooh, that's a tough question. Uh, thinking about intellectual property uh, you or, or other related areas, you, you can't own a community per se. Actually, who owns that community is the Discord or Facebook meta i think that's the, the, the new name mm -hmm. but of course that 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 community will have probably a trademark of the game so that's something that somebody owns and uh, you can establish in the agreement rules for that for instance you have a you have a, a team uh, for a developing uh, for a, a game development uh, agreement and one of your teammates is responsible for that uh, community engagement for for feeding your community. So you can establish that if parties decide to to terminate the relationship, who should own or who should keep that community to use for further purposes. That's uh, as far as I see. That's plenty possible to put in the agreement a rule to establish that. Okay, uh, so we got clarification on here. Uh, Lyndon wanted to clarify the question. How important is it to have an indie experienced lawyer as opposed to general corporate lawyer? Uh, let me think about that question. I think that uh, a, a, an indie experienced lawyer will have when I when we talk about indie experience, I I tend to think that we are to talking mostly about game developers or assisting game developers and game studios than publishers. So I think that's an important uh, feature to find because uh, the dynamics of assisting a game studio in an agreement is pretty different from the ones uh, assisting a publisher. Uh, I think, again, uh, I'll keep my previous answer. I think that uh, that is a, a benefit to have someone in the experience, but I don't think that's extremely necessary to have uh, a good legal assistance. Uh, there are good lawyers that will address your issue and will uh, try to understand the nature of your, your business and the nature of the agreement that you are entering into. So it will be important, but not 
uh, extremely necessary. That that's what I should say. Excellent. It's like the the more somebody knows, the better. Always, right? But but is it like is it a deal breaker? You know. I don't think so. What you should see if that uh, lawyer is dedicating to understand what you are trying to do and your the big nature of your business. That's what's most important. Mm. So here we go from OMS Game, who's been waiting for this talk, was waiting for hours for this talk. I know there was a message on Discord. Uh, what is a fair split of IP worked on between the graphic designer, concept artist, and lead designer? The person who conceived the project and characters. Uh, <laughs> it will depend, but that that's a tough question. But uh, I should say that, uh, of course, the lead designer will have a, a major participation. Let's say like it has fifty percent, while the other parties have twenty-five each. Uh, I think that's fair. And it depends. It's like uh, if you ha you might have to have more people on the project. So if you just, you know. Certainly. And, and sometimes perhaps the graphic designer that you're bringing to the project is someone well-known with already a name, a prestigious name. So you have to give him or her more percentage for being in the project. So. But also, like, if, if you were basically the founder, the owner, the creator, um, you might need more people, and then you might have to give up more of your revenue share because after you give agreement with other people, they're not going to want to give up their rev share just because you want to bring on someone else. I mean, they they might, but you know, just think about that though. Yeah. Here we go. Lucas Hishman, I'm a student. What do you recommend when a project is educational for its creators? Treat it as a professional business. You uh, at least you learn what <laughs> what you need to have when you join the the market. So, right, treat it treat it as you're making a, a pro game, right? Yeah. Um, another question from Abisiami uh, Jimmy: What do you look out for when you want to start an indie? Uh, don't know if I can answer. That. Yeah, that's a lot of things, right? <laughs> that is, that's a big question. Look for people you trust with quality and complementary uh, characteristics, but I don't know how to answer this actually. Yeah. All right, let's see. Oh, whoop. I haven't seen you guys in a while. It's good, it's good to talk to you. Okay, let's see. We've got a bunch of comments. Oh, here we go. It depends, it's officially a meme. <laughs> it has been a meme on indie game business for a long time. Um, Remember yeah. that you have to, you need a, an image license if you want to use my picture for that. <laughs> That's right. Um, thanks, Andre. Great talk. I'm not sure what that my little pleasure. emote is there. Oh, my goodness. We have a surprise visitor in the background right here. Let me bring him up on stream. There he is. You, you had to bring me up yet. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we have, we have internet yeah. again. At so, least he's dressed. Th thank you, Andre. I caught a little bit of it based on what I could hear. But, um, Dan, I'm going to go get the next one ready. All righty. All right. Well, that's good because we have another question. And then I, and then I will just grill Andre on a bunch of other things. Um, if you have any more questions, you guys, we, we've I don't have to end early now. Yeah, it's good. Hey, you guys message me on Discord. 
Go into the if, if you are not on our indie game business Discord, go it's discord.gg slash indie game business. I'm actually I'm not live. Let me let me change that. Uh now I'm online and you'll see me. I'm an admin there. Um go on in there. Also, if you for you new people, if you have not been in our Discord, get on in there. There's so much great information. All right, so here let's get to this question from Adi. Are the revenue split reconsidered or changed as the game grows? Should those be like you're saying, like right now you get 50-50, but if we start making more money, you get less? <laughs> should those be put in the agreement as per performance thresholds? I love that technical term. Yeah, that's not quite usual because it can maybe uh, make your your teammates uh, don't want to work a lot because if they work more, they receive less. But uh, or maybe it's the other it, way around, right? Yeah, but it sometimes it is uh, pretty. It is common to have uh, clauses that will define that in five years, party will see it again and discuss what was good in the agreement and what was not, and if the percentages that were addressed before should be reconsidered. You can put a clause like. We'll talk about that later. But to establish already that if the game grows, they will lose it, maybe not. Or I wouldn't you can, that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you can you can have this kind of clause. For instance, if an investor can, can, comes to the game and then puts a lot of money, then people, the, the, the original teammates, will accept that a dilution will occur. But uh, it's usually because that uh, the total revenue will grow more than if you had 50% before, but now you have 10, you have more money than before. Then in these situations, it's pretty common, but usually uh, uh, predicting or, or thinking about future situations, when more money or a third party, an investor will put uh, a lot of money in the project to, to help it grow more. Then, that, then that's a situation in where I see it as a possible uh, reconsideration of the revenue share each one has in the agreement. Right on. I, I personally have seen instances where, like, if the game sells X amount of copies, then you, X gets a bonus. So-and-so gets a bonus. You know, I've seen that kind of stuff. That's possible. Uh, that is possible. Here we go with Lyndon. If the publisher is putting a significant amount of funds into the project for marketing, QA, et cetera, as well as production funds, would the developer ideally have the ability to audit these funds in also? Yeah, and it should because th that's a major part of the deal. If the publisher is putting a lot of money and certainly it will ask for a recoupable amount clause that will give it 100% of the revenue until, until it recovers all the investment, you should uh, follow, you should uh, audit if that money is really being put into the the place that the publisher committed to do to put it. So that's possible and necessary, I would say. Right on. All right. It looks like there's a technical issue somewhere in the back end. Okay. Uh, so actually, thank you so much, Andre. We really appreciate your time. You are on our Discord, right? Yeah. Yes. So if uh, there is a post-session chat, I believe, on the Discord, uh, let's see here. If you would want it to, to go over there, okay, post, there's a post-session hangout. 
if you wanted to go in there and hang out and if people had more questions you can go on over there it's uh yeah it's about halfway down i guess there's it says igb sessions december 2021 and yes our someone's already over there waiting for you they got questions right now so thank you so much <laughs> i have to get over to okay. the next one to get the next one set up we got chris Zikowski. that one's going to be awesome so please everyone stay tuned for that thank you so much Thanks, my pleasure bye guys bye Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.